We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back, score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch, or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding and check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Rotowire Basketball Podcast, brought to you as always by DraftKings.com. DraftKings is the leader in daily fantasy sports. You can use the promo code ROTOHOOPS when you deposit for a free contest entry today. All right, it is Tuesday, October 27th, the year 2015. Nick Whalen here with DJ Trainer. DJ, this is the day we've been waiting for, and, and basketball fans have been waiting for pretty much since the end of the finals. And what's so great about the NBA is that the season seems to go on forever. So, you know, we get the finals till mid to late June, and, you know, Eurobasket's going on, the draft is going on over the summer. There's really no downtime. And all of a sudden now, the, the next season, the 2015 16 season, is upon us. Three games tonight as the regular season gets underway. Um, many more games on Wednesday night. Pretty much every team is in action, but the big two tonight, Cavaliers at Bulls, Pelicans at Warriors, Pistons are also at the Hawks, so we'll preview each of those three games on today's podcast. We'll talk a little bit about some injured players, some players with longer-term injuries, guys that you maybe can look to stash on IR that could make an impact later in the season, and then we'll also get down to, you know, with it being the start of the season, a couple of our bold predictions, some things we're excited to see uh, this season, and I mean, it goes without saying that it seems like every, the NBA just gets better every year, right? Like the Western Conference was so much fun to watch last year, and it's even deeper now. 
Yeah, I mean, I woke up today. The sun was shining brighter. the The coffee tasted better. The breakfast also tasted better. Nick, I, it's nice to see it. just a big fat smile on your face as you talk about it. Just cannot wipe it off your face. It's going to be awesome. I mean, do I like watching the Pistons and the Hawks in general? Not really. Excited about the Pelicans and Warriors, of course. The Bulls and the Cavaliers is always a good showdown. Uh, I don't really care. You could throw any any teams at me as long as it counts. I, I'm in. I'm ready. Yeah, there's something like as much as I love the NBA, and I think you and I probably love it as much as anybody at Rotoware. Like I just can't get myself to care about the preseason. I I'd struggled through watching even Wonky Bucks preseason games, but as soon as that gear switches to the regular season, it's such it's just so much fun. And I was telling my girlfriend last night, I'm just like stressed out more than anything because college football is going on, the NFL is going on, the World Series starts Tuesday night. And now you throw the NBA on top of that. Like I'm just like. I'm worried like about how I'm going to be able to keep up with all these things, but obviously the NBA is going to have to take precedent. Well, we'll all be here for you, Nick. Like we're gonna we're gonna get you I'm through this this, this rough time in your life. <laughs> That's exactly pretty much what she said. Was like, you're serious right now? Like you're trying to complain to me that you don't know how how you're going to keep up with watching all these sports and. I mean, that, that's that's life at Rotowire, I guess. Yeah, it's it's life. We're, we're stressed out. That there's too Just, many things to watch on TV yeah. and be entertained by right now. But one thing, right, uh, I want to talk about the preseason. I mean, let's be honest. NBA players don't even get up for the regular season sometimes, so the preseason is pretty much a joke. We can both agree after watching Summer League that it's a step above Summer League, but not really that much. Nobody takes it too seriously. It's a big step above Summer League, I think. It's certain games, you know, it's so hit or miss. Like that Bucks game that we were both at this past Tuesday, so a week from today in Madison, was like shockingly really, really fun. You know, most teams played their pretty close to what we thought would be their real rotations. Um, you know, obviously Milwaukee was up big in that one, and most of the starters didn't play in the fourth. But it's just such a game to game thing. You know, guys are resting. You know, guys like LeBron, uh, you know, the super, superstar players are, are kind of limiting their activity. But once it turns to the regular season now, things get a lot more fun. That's for sure. Chris Copeland jacking up threes in the corner. I hope that's not a real thing, but we'll, we'll find what? out. It sounds like it is going to be, but it's totally going to be. It's going to be a real it thing. It should be. Uh, okay. We, we have different, differing views on Chris Copeland. They need shooter. We, we're, we're already, what are we, three minutes in, and we're already arguing about, about the Milwaukee Bucks. This is, this is pretty long. typical. Drinking game is not going to go well for people playing today. No, no. Pl- I hope you're not playing live, at least. <laughs> this is going to hit the airwaves around 3 p.m., so <laughs> please don't start drinking games until, until the evening, at least. But let's get in. Uh, actually, first, a reminder, the podcast is available on iTunes. The podcast is available on Stitcher. Um, it's available on the Rotowire website, rotowire.com slash podcast. All of our podcasts can be found there. You can download or stream if you're listening uh, or downloading on iTunes. Please be sure to leave us a nice review. Um, really, I don't know, are, we gonna, are we offering anything in exchange for reviews? Is that Are we able to do that? I don't know. Our undivided love? I'd be willing to, to put that up. I don't know. You seem stressed out. I don't know if you can throw your love into it that's right just, now. Yeah, that's just another thing to add to the fire. I don't know. Maybe later in the season, I think your undivided love for now, my divided love. Yep, that's fair. That's perfect. All right, so let's get into uh, some injury discussion. As, like we said, opening night gets underway in just a few hours as we record. Um, guys like Mike Dunleavy, Kyrie Irving, Iman Shumpert, Jabari Parker, Pakovich, the list goes on. Some pretty big-name guys that are out to start the season Dunleavy, his return date's unknown. Kyrie, we're thinking probably sometime in January. Obviously, the Cavs won't rush him back. Shumpert, he was given a 12- to 14-week timetable close to a month ago. So we want to talk about these guys and, you know, if they're sitting on the waiver wire right now, are you thinking about stashing them? Uh, And in the meantime, who are guys that can maybe fill in while they're out? So we'll start with Mike Dunleavy, and I'll I'll let you lead the discussion with him. Yeah, so this came about Zach Fronterhouse 
hit me up on Twitter, asked me who's the best IR stash guy right now. I responded with, and by the way, you can reach both me and Nick on Twitter. I just got a new Twitter after being hacked. If you listen hey. to the, hey, yeah, if you listen to the Wednesday pod with me and Josh, you know too much about my Twitter life. You can find me now at Trainer DJ. You can find Nick, of course, at Waylon. But instead of the L, it's the number one, which he regrets every single time we talk about it. I don't regret it. it. I, I, it you looks, should regret it. it Here's the thing: better. you should regret it. It looks better stylized, I think, than it does like said out loud. You're right, yes. and that was that. That's definitely a mistake. I thought I was like, oh, this. I mean, I made this one, like three, four years ago. I was like, oh, this would be super clever. The one is like an L, and it's just been a nightmare every time I have to say it out loud, and especially when other people like you, I have to put you through saying it. But I appreciate the plug. Yeah, Waylon, except the L is spelled with the number one. If you can't find them, then too te- bad. <laughs> too bad, exactly. Uh, so what I responded to Zach was, of course, Kyrie Irving and Tyreek Evans are the number number one guys that I would go after for that IR spot. But I'm going to go ahead and assume that they were drafted in whatever draft you were in. It doesn't matter what size league. I hope that Evans and Kyrie Irving were drafted. Now, if you're talking about a prototyp- prototypical guy that you're going to put on your IR, IR spot, sorry about that, and just stash him away for a few months, and then you're hoping maybe in a head-to-head format where he can really come on late for you and help you out during the playoffs. I'm looking right at Tony Roten. He's got a knee injury. Doesn't look like he's going to come back until December, but he tends to get a lot of minutes for that Sixer team. He might slide right into that point guard slot, put guys like Isaiah Cannon to shame, move them all to the bench, put all the questions that me and Nick have talked about uh, to bed there. Another guy, Brandon Jennings, and I want to get your take on this one, Nick. Obviously, Reggie Jackson is signed into that long-term deal. you got to think that he's their point guard of the next few years for sure. So Jennings comes back, and you wonder, is he going to fit in and just be a backup player? Or maybe could he be on the move? And once he is on the move, let's say he goes to a team like, I don't know, the Brooklyn Nets, where he gets an, a, a plethora of opportunities. If he's on your IR, you bring him out maybe you know whenever he comes up, maybe in a month or two. Could be a, a gold mine there uh, utilizing that IR slot. The not too many leagues have an IR slot, but if you have one, those are the guys I'm looking at for sure. I do like Brandon Jennings personally, obviously, as a, as a, a buck to start his career. He provided, he provided a lot of excitement uh, to high school Nick's life. But, I mean, over the summer, Jennings basically said, you know, I'm fine coming off the bench, which was, I think was a little bit surprising. You know, he, he's kind of a, a domineering personality, you know, a guy who you wouldn't necessarily think would be comfortable coming off the bench, but he says he's fine doing that. Um, obviously Reggie Jackson played well after the trade didn't necessarily translate to, to much team success but I think you know another year some better personnel in Detroit another year under Stan Van Gundy should help so Reggie Jackson is going to be the point guard there's no way that Brandon Jennings comes back and takes this job I think that goes without saying I think they can play together um, you know Van Gundy and that organization have spoken really highly of Contavious Coldwell Pope he hasn't really shown much of an ability to do anything other than shoot from the outside and he really hasn't done it that great so far um, so minutes will be available, I think, at shooting guard. Jody Meeks is kind of a, a carbon copy of Contavious Coldwell-Pope, just a little bit older. They offer similar skill sets. I think Jennings can be an off-ball guy. Um, you know, he's a good catch-and-shoot player, a guy who always has been, maybe has been asked to create his own shot a little bit more than play off the ball. But you know, having two ball handlers out there, I think, can be really effective. And I think that's what we'll see most often. You know, They're not going to start together or anything like that. But I also don't think it's going to be Jennings versus Jackson. I think it's going to be Jennings and Jackson together, uh, you know, rather than one trying to take the other's job. We've already said this a couple times, Nick, and that shooting guard, small forward, and power forward spots 
for the Pistons are just probably going to be in flux all season long, you would think. And we never even really touched on Jennings coming back. And so that's just one more manifestation of how those three middle spots for the Pistons could just be churning over throughout the season long, throughout the whole season for fantasy owners. Of course, you hate to see that. Right, exactly. And it's a tough situation to navigate, especially early in the year. You know, we don't really know when Brandon Jennings is going to be back. He's coming off of a very serious Achilles injury, maybe the most serious injury uh, in basketball at this point with, with the way that technology surrounding ACL injuries has, has improved so much. But you just don't know what it's going to be at this point. So it's it's tough to risk anything on right now. But, you know, I think looking at the depth chart, he's clearly ahead of Steve Blake. You know, Spencer Dinwiddie is a guy that Van Gundy's always spoken highly of. So maybe he gets into the mix early. It kind of depends how he plays, I guess, while Jennings is still out. But, you know, Jennings is fairly risky. But at the same time, um, yeah, I think the value will be there later in the year once he gets back to 100%. I thought it was interesting that you named him as a trade candidate. I think that's that's definitely a possibility. He's on an expiring deal, you know, very affordable, $8.3 million this season. Obviously, if you trade a midseason, I don't know how that prorates exactly. Um, but he would kind of be viewed as a rental in many ways. Um, well, Rajon Rondo is a rental right now. He's on a one-year deal. I think it's about $9 right. million. Dollars. So rental is not a far-fetched idea for sure. No, no, not not at all. I just it depends. I just it depends what the t- goal of the team is. You know, Brooklyn obviously needs help at point guard. That was the team that you suggested. I think that's a good suggestion. But you know, do they want to deal with having to you know work out a new deal with Jennings at the end of the year? Would they like somebody that already has a longer term deal? There, there's a, there are factors there. I guess is what I'm saying is you know if Jennings does play really well and for whatever reason Detroit would opt to move him mid season, um, you know you're kind of taking on that that decision that offseason decision of do we have to pay this guy or do we want to let him walk it's kind of what what Brandon Knight you know went through with Phoenix last year obviously they they ultimately ended up paying him so it's not I don't think it's anything that would necessarily prevent him from being traded or cause him to be traded but it's it's a consideration you know if some teams don't want to deal with that then maybe they'd back off do you think that he can be a legitimate starting point guard for a team d- despite this coming off this major injury it it totally depends you know, he's such a he's a guy that is you know among the most polarizing point guards in the league and probably for good reason he's not an efficient shooter but he can score in bunches like you know the easy answer is he's probably best as like a six man or you know a, a Lou Williams type and that's probably right um but at the same time he, he hasn't really really been given that much of an opportunity you know he gets hurt in Detroit he was off to a really good start well, before the injury opportunity where I mean he got lots of Milwaukee, opportunities in Milwaukee yeah I mean that People, I don't. This is you know that's where it comes down to him being a polarizing guy. You know, with that team, I don't think he necessarily fit what they were about at the time. It's tough. It's nobody like the shoot first point guard thing when you shoot forty one percent just doesn't really work. Yeah, you're you're totally right. And I'm looking and in my mind when I pose that pose that question to you, I was thinking that he is. But then I'm taking a look at all the starting point guards across the league, and I'm saying, you know what, he probably would be best suited coming off the bench behind those guys. The reason why I brought up Brooklyn is because Jarrett Jack is the only one I can legitimately say I'd probably rather have Brandon Jennings out there. In terms of fantasy, Jarrett Jack is going to be pretty valuable. But in terms of winning NBA games, I'm not sure that you want him as your starting point guard. Assuming Jennings comes back to full health. Brandon Jennings or George Hill? I, it's so hard for me to detach myself from fantasy because I always think of that first. But I think I want – well, of course it matters who, who the rest of the players on the team with you are. Brandon Jennings and Monte Ellis, I'm not sure if those two guys can coexist. in a, They a have back. before. I know, but I just I, – I don't know if they can do it again. And so <laughs> I, yeah. I think – I think George Hill is more what you want when you guys when you have guys on your team like Paul George who can create your own shot their own shot. 
And so on that particular team, I'll go with George Hill, but that doesn't mean, you know, that doesn't mean I think George Hill is more productive than Brandon Jennings by any means, because I don't think that's the case. That's where I think that's where he's better suited to come off the bench. You know, you, for almost any team, you can make that case. You know, I'm looking at the Knicks. They're a team that's pretty weak at point guard right now with Jose, Calderon, yep. Galloway. I do like Jerry and Grant, but who knows what he'll be in year one. And, you know, obviously Carmelo and, and Brandon Jennings on paper isn't the, the ideal match, but when you're bringing a guy like Jennings off the bench, you can kind of mix and match who he's on the floor with, give him a little bit more freedom. And I think that's maybe where he ends up long-term as just kind of a somewhere between like a Lou Williams and a, and a Monte Ellis type of guy. Obviously Ellis plays off the ball quite a bit more, but I just don't know that Jennings right now has been given the opportunity to prove or has proven yet that he's capable of like really, really being a a starting point guard for a perennial playoff team. And the thing that's going to hurt him in terms of being a starting point guard, and I'll just have this be the last thought and we can move on, Nick, is that you've got younger guys coming in and playing point guard right away. So you've got Emmanuel Moutier, who's going to start. You've got D'Angelo Russell, who's going to start. And I'll even throw Alfred Payton in there, who's a second-year guy. And so maybe some rookies are getting looks, and they'll force him into that six-man role, which I, th- I really think he would excel in, in terms of coming off this injury and his style of play. Six-man role, a guy that can put up some shots for you off the bench. That works really well. I hope he moves on. I- I'd like to see him go someplace other than Detroit because – Detroit has already made their bed with Reggie Jackson, for better or for worse. And in my eyes, I think it's for worse. And I will continually get to that over the course of the season. We don't need to talk about it much right now. All right, fair enough. Well, which other these, which other of these in, uh, injury guys should say do you want to talk about? I do want to talk about Tyreek Evans and just that whole point guard situation. And so you have Tyreek Evans, who's out for six to eight weeks. That was uh, that announcement was made about a week ago. So he's going to be out for maybe the first two months of the season. You have Norris Cole, who has about four weeks left on his ankle injury. So you have Drew Holiday, of course, as a starter there. He's always going to be the starter. But right now, still presently, we have a 15-minute restriction. Right? They actually just upped it to 20 okay. this morning. So, Alvin Gentry came out and said, you know, Holiday feels fine. The preseason went well. We'll up it to 20. But Which makes complete sense based on what's happened to them so far. Right. So you're looking at Drew Holiday, who's now at a 20-minute. That's not going to last long. Originally, they said that 15-minute restriction was going to go to December, and there's no way that's going to happen. That 20-minute one cannot go to December because you have Nate Robinson backing you up there. And then Ish Smith, who the Pelicans just picked up yesterday. I do know that breaking news. Ish Smith went over to the Pelicans, who last year when the Thunder were in need, Ish played on the thunder and he did pretty a pretty serviceable job and so if you have holiday for 20 minutes robinson for uh i mean maybe 28 minutes or something like that and then ish smith coming in for five to ten minutes that's what you got right there tyreek evans some people might be shying away from him if he ever hits the waiver wire in any leagues pick him up as quick as you can if it's my draft i am totally fine with drafting him normally when he's healthy in the fourth or fifth rounds and so if he's sitting on the way on the waiver wire right now in any one of your leagues pick him up i mean one or one month or two months into the season does not justify him being on the waiver wire right and he's a guy that's almost in that brandon jennings vein as being a really polarizing player you know somebody who's you know always kind of been a good stats bad team type of guy um people forget he he won the the rookie of the year yeah. over Stephen Curry and, and everyone Brandon has Jennings. looked down on him since then because he really right. hasn't he hasn't been what we thought we would be but in terms of fantasy he's he's very legitimate well, he's a guy who can play three positions too yep. and that's what's really big I mean he, he carried the point guard load for them quite a bit last season he started at shooting guard started at small forward we know Eric Gordon is as much of an injury liability as just about anyone else on this roster and that's saying quite a bit so I think his versatility once he gets back does make him a very viable uh fantasy option what do you think about Nikola Pekovic 
and really we can talk about this Minnesota front court as a whole. Pekovic obviously limited by that ankle injury for most of last year. They gave him that big extension, uh, but I think it was prior to that. Was it last offseason or the offseason before? Something in the in the neighborhood of fifty million. I don't know the exact figure, but that last season doesn't go as planned. You know, they Ricky Rubio plays something like twenty three games, and you know they they end up with the number one pick. All of a sudden, they add Carl Anthony Towns. He's the best player available. Maybe it wasn't the biggest need for them, but I, I don't think you could really argue for for anyone else that was you know that high in the draft. And uh, you know, I think Towns, Okafor, Russell, Porzingis, like they were they're. For as bad as Minnesota was last year, they're kind of set at a lot of positions. You know, like they have their point guard of the future, they have their shooting guard of the future. You know, you throw Zach Levine at either of those positions, um, and then obviously you have guys like Pekovic and Jang. And is it Bielitsa? Uh, I think that's what we're going. That's with. what they were saying at the Kohl Center on Tuesday. I, that doesn't mean anything. Take though. that. Yeah, you have Marcin, Gort, Marcin Gortat went by Gortat right. until one day he woke up and was like, "Hey, my nar- my name's Gortat." Sure, but I'm still going with Gortat. That that doesn't affect me at all. Um, <laughs> doesn't make affect my personal decision. Pekovic had that five year, sixty million dollar contract in August of 2013, so he still got uh, a few years left on that. This whole front court is muddled to me. If I could get rid of Kevin Garnett, if I could get rid of Pekovic, I would. And you've got guys like Gorgie Dang, you've got Towns, uh, Bielitsa come in there. A guy, Adrian Payne, I really like a lot, but he's just not going to see that many minutes. And so if you could find a way to dump Pekovic into a team that's just trying to rebuild or they're trying to take on contracts to stack draft picks for the future, that's what I would do. I think he's just going to get in the way of what you have now. Nick, you put it perfectly in that they're kind of set at every position. I don't know why Tayshaun Prince is going to start at small forward, but that seems like it might happen. That Bucks game that we went to at the Kohl Center, he did start, and I think both teams were actually trying to, you know, it was, it was a legitimate dress rehearsal for the regular season. So he's a guy that can, he won't hurt you, but he's not really going to help you out in a lot of places. The problem is I'm not a big fan of Shabazz Muhammad. I know a lot of guys are. I think Ken and Shannon, who host on Fridays, are. I know James is, and I think you even are too, Nick. I just don't really like him that much, both in terms of fantasy and in terms of helping my basketball team win. Uh, the small forward spot is where I would be uh, a little cautious unless you're going to move Wiggins down there. Yeah, and I think that's something they'll maybe consider throughout the year. And, you know, those two spots can be somewhat positionless based who's on, on the court at the time. But, I mean, the main point when looking back at Pekovic and, and this front court more specifically is that this team probably isn't as shallow as most teams that end up with the number one pick. You know, I mean, like had, had they not had all their injury issues last season, especially Rubio and Pekovic, this team probably doesn't finish with the worst record you know, in, in the West. And the thing is, how does this front court rotation work out? Like once Pekovic comes back healthy, you have him, you have Towns, you have Jang, you have Garnett, you, Tayshaun Prince can play power forward, um, you have Bielitsa. Like some, somebody's going to have to be the odd man out. And I don't think they want it to be Towns, right? I mean, this is, this, is a, this is a team that's not going to be playoff competitive, but they'll be fairly competitive. You know, they're not going to get trampled on a nightly basis. So they're going to have to find a happy medium, I think, between allowing Towns to grow and develop and play big minutes, but also trying to win some basketball games. And, you know, oftentimes having a rookie, an inexperienced rookie who's played one year of college ball out there doesn't really help that much in that type of category. When I mean, we saw it with the Bucks last season, I mean, Jabari Parker didn't help them win games. He was exciting to watch, and it was fun to watch him from a developmental standpoint, but he was bad defensively. He wasn't super efficient offensively. Rookies don't often help teams win games. So I think Minnesota kind of has to decide at what point they want to maybe mortgage some wins to allow guys like Towns and and younger guys like Jang to get more playing time. Does that come at the expense of Pekovic is the big question, I think. 
I think it should because let's be honest here. Even if we do, let's let's start Pekovic over Towns, um, and let's say that this team gets in as the eight seed. So the Jazz falter, the Suns falter. This is best case scenario for Minnesota. What and then, then they get slaughtered by the one seed, maybe a Thunder, the Rockets, the Spurs. You know they're just gonna get absolutely trampled. So does that really help you? much for the for the future years if i'm the timberwolves i'm throwing towns out there i'm trying to limit garnett's minutes i'm trying to dump pekovich if i can't dump him i want to do what um you know kind of like a david lee situation yeah he's got a fat contract but he's on the bench because he doesn't really help us in terms of the warriors it was be a better team and make it to the finals in terms of the timberwolves it's progress for the next few years because if town gets a lot of experience under his belt now you're looking over the next couple years where this team could be really good if you put him on the bench now in favor of Pekovich, you're jeopardizing the next two years. You're not just talking about this year. Which team do you like for the next five to seven years, Minnesota or Milwaukee? Okay, so the the best part, and I apologize, me and Nick talk about this game because we went to it, and I know all the other podcasters have been talking about it too. Ken, Ken and Shannon were talking about it as well. But I think we did, the reason why we keep talking is because it's the two youngest, sexiest teams right out there right now. Right, and as you shoot me a wink because you love the Bucks so much, but let's be honest: in terms of the young pieces all corralled into one city, the Bucks and the Timberwolves are, are are the two best in that regard. There's a lot of young pieces together. If I had to pick just one, I it's tough. I'm gonna go with the Bucks just because I've never been about Ricky Rubio. Maybe Tyus Jones or Zach Levine matures into that steady point guard spot. But I'm actually okay with Carter Williams as my point guard for the next five to seven years. Sure, he sh- struggles with his sh- shot mightily, but uh, I-, I still think he's he's a solid piece over the course of the next five years. I should clarify. I'm not. I don't really call, consider myself a Bucks fan. No, to be honest, I really don't. Out, I really don't. No, I mean, I I live nearest to the Bucks. I cover the Bucks, so that kind of you know, I'm exposed to them the most. But like, I don't really. I honestly don't like root for the Bucks. I really don't. Um, well, covering teams in general, and you, you see a lot of reporters say this, it just beats the fandom out of it. Right, and that's exactly, I think, what happened. I've, never, I've really never been a big Bucks fan. It was always just wherever Tracy McGrady was. And, you know, once he, once he retired, I, I had to just, <laughs> I'm kind of neutral at this point. And, yeah, I, I just don't want, I don't, I mean, obviously we talk about the Bucks a lot because, you know, that's probably the team I know the most about. They're proximal, whatever. But I, I don't want to want anybody to think I'm a Bucks homer because I'm really not. If anything, I'd probably like root more against the Bucks than anything else. Um, but I think longer term, it's almost a wash at this point. But the reason I do like Minnesota is I think Andrew Wiggins is the best player on either of these teams. I think he has probably the highest upside. You could make a case for Giannis, but I haven't really seen quite enough. Um, if you're talking just like pure hypothetical upside, sure, it's Giannis. But I think from concrete on-court play, Wiggins has the highest ceiling. I think that's attainable. Um, I think Towns is going to be really good in a couple of years, probably not in year one, um, but a couple of years down the road. I like Shabazz. I think Rubio's all right. I don't think he, I don't think you can necessarily win a championship with Ricky Rubio as your second or third best player. I think he can, he can be a championship point guard if he's not asked to do more than, than what he's capable of doing. I like Zach Levine long-term. I think they have some pieces in play. And I think being in the Western Conference almost helps them because they're going to lose a lot of games this year. They're probably going to get another top seven pick, maybe even top five, top three um to add another player to this core so i think that's maybe what separates them because if milwaukee meets expectations or even falls short of expectations they're going to find themselves in the late lottery to mid first round whereas minnesota i think is going to find themselves with a chance to grab another big asset for the future that's that's a great way to look at it i think you're probably right in that regard nick although i will say that chris middleton is maturing into a player that 
maybe a lot of people didn't quite think he would be a good all-around player. I will <clears throat> excuse me, totally agree with you about Andrew Wiggins. In terms of being impressed by the guys we watch, he just floated around the court. He seemed completely competent about everything he was doing. He didn't seem like his head was underwater. He seemed like maybe one of the smartest guys out there on the court, and you combine that with his just pure, raw athleticism. I think you're completely right in saying that, that Wiggins is, is the more solid piece over on Tedekumpo because we get caught up too much in his ability to play basically all five positions. And I mean, he's not going to play center too much, obviously. Well, it's like can he, he can play all five positions like but, adequately, but he's not he's great jack, at all yeah, five. He's positions. a jack of all trades. I would you'd almost rather him just be one of the best small forwards in the league rather than being so versatile. And you almost think that he's getting pulled in so many directions that he can't really focus on one thing. Exactly. I think that's a really good way to put it. Um, you could probably make an argument that with the right coaching, with the right development, Antetokounmpo is maybe a more integral piece to a championship team, you know, kind of a, a, be- a, a better defender, maybe a more, he, he offers you more in different ways. He's more versatile for certain rosters, but I think with what the Bucks want him to be and need him to be, I'm not sure that he fits that profile of a, you know, a dominant first or second option on offense. He hasn't really shown the efficiency or the control, especially in one-on-one settings to really, to really make that case. So, I mean, we'll see. It's still early. He's going into year three. Wiggins obviously going into year two. Um, I don't know if this is necessarily Wiggins' breakout year. I think he, I think he puts up really good numbers again. That goes without saying. I mean, he'll definitely top what he did as a rookie, but I think he can get quite a bit better. I think he needs to gain some weight. Um, he can get a little bit better, probably going to the rim. He's not a guy that I watched a ton last season. The Timberwolves just weren't that accessible, uh, as good as he was. But down the road, I mean, there's a lot to like about both these teams. That, that certainly goes without saying. Do you want to get into some predictions for the season, or do you want to talk any more about these injury guys? I think we're all good. Just let me just run quickly. Mike Dunleavy, Dunleavy, unknown return date. I would get rid of him if you have him on your team. He's he's barely worthy of a spot on a roster to begin with, and so with an unknown return date, I'm I'm not really looking at him. Kyrie Irving should already be on teams. Iman Shumpert is is a utility guy in deeper leagues. Jabari Parker is an interesting one. Could he sit out a month? Is he just going to be out the first week of the season? Either way, he's still somewhat limited in terms of fantasy and what he does for the Bucks. Maybe in the next couple of years, he could be uh, a top 30 fantasy player, potentially because of his scoring, especially. But as of right now, um, you know, I'm not going to waste a spot, if, especially if I don't have an IR slot or IR spot, if you will, on, on my fantasy team. Otherwise, I think we hit it really well. I did say Tony Roten is my guy for my IR spots. He's going to come in. He's going to get minutes right away, but it won't be until the second half of the season probably. And so I, I would use my IR spot for the whole first half of the season um, if, if he's available. All right, so I asked you to come up with four things that you're really excited about this NBA season. Obviously, there are a ton to choose from. I, don't, I haven't really looked at yours yet, to be honest, so I'm excited to see where you go with these. I came up with four myself, but we'll start with your first one. What is the, the thing that you're most excited about that you came up with? I'm excited about a healthy Kevin Durant. It's good for the NBA if all the best players are out there playing, going at each other night to night. I hope his foot issues just don't become a recurring problem, not only for this year, but for the rest of the, his career. Everyone's kind of you know a darling Thunder fan. I myself am a Thunder fan. I'll, I won't even say that the fandom has been beat out of me quite yet like Nick and the Bucks. I do enjoy the Thunder, but I think we can all agree that 
Westbrook, Durant, and Ibaka really haven't had much of a shot at going for the title. One of those three or a couple at the same time have been hurt over the last few years when they're in the playoffs. And so it just would be really nice to see if this is a championship caliber team. You lose a coach, pick up a new one, and you got to think that if uh, if Durant gets along with Donovan and things are going well and, and every one of that core three that I mentioned stays healthy, could be really fun to watch and what could be the last year that the Thunder are even really relevant because Durant could leave this year. You could have a Bach and Westbrook, I believe, leave next year as well. Quite easily in two years, the Thunder could be the worst team in basketball for a decade, and it wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh, yeah, and this is a situation that's a 30 for 30 waiting to happen yes. in a lot of ways. You know, I didn't, I didn't have KD specifically on my list, but I had what happens with the Thunder short and long term. And I think this is probably the biggest storyline in the NBA. And there, this is a year with a ton of storylines. Marcus Aldridge switching places. Um, you know, the Cavs coming back healthy after that, after what they were able to do in the second half in the Can playoffs. The Warriors keep it the up. Warriors, like the Warriors have been, they're, they're like a, an ancillary uh, topic. Like most years, a team as dominant as they were coming back, like are, there, are they even the favorite for a lot of people? It doesn't seem like it, which is insane. I don't think they should be because everyone's going to, they're going to get absolutely beat up throughout the regular season. They're going to get everybody's best punch and they're just not going to be able to withstand that. It's going to be too will. tough. You think so? I, they got everybody's best, best punch last season. Like at what point were people not, I mean, that's I don't think true. people were taking them lightly by any means last year. They killed everybody. Yeah, that's true. I just I just think it's going to be a really long season for them in particular. And so we'll see if, if they can make it through unscathed. But if they do in the playoffs, they're going to be the most experienced team, obviously. Right. Yeah, and then they didn't really lose anybody. They obviously voluntarily let David Lee go. That might be for the best of, of everyone involved. But I think going back to the Thunder, this is – I mean, this is as make or break as it gets, really. I mean, every everything's going to be hanging in the balance, really, with this season. The Kevin Durant, uh, you know, does he want out? Does he want to stay? That's only going to get louder as the season goes on. Every game, once it gets to, to the postseason, assuming they're healthy and they get in, is going to be make or break. And it's going to be kind of crazy to see how they handle that. I do... I do think that they're probably the biggest challenger to Golden State when healthy simply because Kevin Durant is that good. I think it's easy to forget how good he was two seasons ago when he was fully healthy. I get, it's unbelievable. This, this, I mean, he's better than LeBron James right now, I think, when healthy. I, I don't know if there's – there's certainly a debate, I guess, going around that. But he's right up there with Anthony Davis as the top two, at least in my mind. It's, it's just going to be a whirlwind season for them. Like, we're forgetting even the, that they have a new coach. Like, I feel like that's like the that's not even the biggest part of the storyline. Everybody's focusing so much on Durant's health that it's like, oh yeah, they're bringing in a new coach. Durant's only had one coach since that team moved to Oklahoma City, and Dion Waiters plays on this team. Ennis Cantor is now starting a new contract with this team. Kyle Singler played big minutes. They don't really have a starting shooting guard. Like there's so much that's going on with this team that they're they're by far the biggest storyline to me to keep an eye on. Yep, I totally agree. We'll get to the coaching situation with my bold prediction at the end here, but Nick. Uh, you, of course, have four as well. The return of Paul George looks like he's starting at the power forward spot. Do you think that's going to continue throughout the course of the season? And is that why you think it's it's one of the most exciting things about this coming season? I think it's one of the most exciting things because pretty much for the same reason you have Durant. I guess obviously there's not as much going on with this Pacers team and not as much as on the line. But, like, I mean, he, Paul George is a consensus top 10, arguably top 7 player when healthy. I think mean, he's another guy that you, it's really easy to forget just I how forgot, good. I forgot right? about same how here. good he was. I mean, he's something else when he's healthy. And 
we're bringing back you're adding Durant you know arguably the biggest superstar in the league back into this league you're bringing back Paul George two guys who missed so much of last season I, I think that's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how the, how good this Pacers team can be I mean they barely missed the playoffs last year without him and you're adding I mean if you think of him as highly as I do I think he could really make a huge difference for this team the Pacers are going to be an interesting test case for what happens when you have no depth in the front court? They don't want to play Paul George at power forward. That it's not like, hey, we see you. But you we think you're better as a power forward than you are as a shooting guard or a small forward. It's we lost a bunch of guys. We have no one better. You need to play power forward. That, that it's not a voluntary thing. And Paul George doesn't want to do it. Larry Bird says too bad. So that dynamic is there. That'll be interesting to keep an eye on. But I, I just love Paul George. I think that's basically the reason he's on here. I think he's a superstar player, and we missed him last season, and it'll be really fun to see what he does now that he's healthy. I, I completely agree. The fact that you could have Paul George come off the court and Jordan Hill just take his exact same place makes just makes me laugh hysterical almost. Just th- what we're trying to do here in Indiana is is so... It's I don't want to say sad, but it's just like it's you kind just, of sad. You just want to watch Paul George play small forward and let him do his thing, and you feel like his career is almost getting gypped a little bit that he's forced into this yeah. situation. I think a little bit, but it, I also don't think it's going to be that big of a deal. The league is going more positionless every year. It's not. It's more. It's going to be an issue defensively. That's where the problems are going to be. It's not going to be an issue offensively. I don't think he really is going to be asked to change his game. Like just because you're playing power forward doesn't mean they're going to ask you to post up on the block every possession or anything like that. I mean he's. He's not going to have to change how he plays offensively, I don't think, at all. Well, let's say this. Let's say LeBron J- they're playing the Cavs, and LeBron James, of course, is that small forward. A guy, uh, Paul George and LeBron James have guarded each other in the past, right? Um, yes. Some infamous hand, cl- hand slaps in the playoffs, which I loved, by the way. But do you have Paul George move over to the small forward and, and guard LeBron James? But then your mismatch, if you have Ian Mahimi or Jordan Hill or Miles Turner on the court. Well, that's I mean, the problem. I yeah. mean, you, that's, where this is, that's exactly what I'm saying. Defensively, that's where the problems are going to come is – do you want him guarding Kevin Love? Do you want him guarding guys like LaMarcus Aldridge sometimes? You know, probably not. That, I mean, that's, that's where the issues are going to be. I don't know. And, you know, you can make the argument that it forces the other team to adjust. You know, if they're playing Memphis and he's matched up with Zach Randolph, that's a mismatch for both of them, you know? Right. So it's going to force some other teams to make adjustments, and I think maybe that's part of the reason uh, that Vogel and, and Larry Bird are comfortable going forth with this. But I think it's going to end up hurting them defensively more than anything else. That's for sure. It, it, it... I, th- I mean, the fact that you have it listed here is one of the things that we're interested to watch. I just, I just, we're going to know right away. That's the thing. We're going to know with a month into the season how this thing is shaking out. I hope it's not a disaster. I hope it creates for a lot of entertaining games. You're right, and I think Frank Vogel's a really good coach, and I, I think they'll they'll do everything they can to make George as comfortable at that spot on both ends. Your number two most exciting thing you're looking forward to this season: the Kobe Bryant soap opera. Give it to me, baby. I cannot wait. I hope he yells at Mitch Kupchak again. Love seeing that uh, cam, like that phone camera vid- footage from the uh, from the practice facilities. Is Kobe Bryant going to facilitate D'Angelo Russell? We've all seen the commercials on ESPN. He's he's giving him a hug and they're taking pictures. Welcome back, Kobe. Have you seen it yet? Oh, I have. I have. Um, I've also seen stories that say D'Angelo Russell might not even start tomorrow night so of course we'll see I mean Byron Scott has named four of his starters and Russell isn't one of them as of now he said I mean you would think that he will be but Scott said he's not going to decide until tomorrow so I think they've been pretty disappointed with D'Angelo Russell I think that goes without saying he's had a horrible preseason I think he many believed he was just going to be locked in as the starter and that's why there's all this talk of moving Kobe Bryant to small forward but I think he played bad enough that they're a little bit worried 
I don't know how much that necessarily affects Kobe Bryant. I think this season is going to be more about him than these younger guys, even though it should be about developing Randall and Russell and Clarkson and, and integrating Hibbert. You know, when you tune into SportsCenter at 11 o'clock after a long day and you want to catch up on NBA action, it's going to be about Kobe Bryant when they're talking about a Lakers game. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And, and he's going to – you think he's going to stymie the, you know, the development of Russell, of Clarkson – and then even go down farther, farther to Randall, and you got a guy like Roy Hibbert who makes a lot of dumb mistakes on the court. Kobe is just going to be at—I mean—at his wit ends with these guys in terms. Of, I mean, we know how Kobe has treated his centers in the past, and now we have Roy Hibbert in the mix. So Kobe, like I said in the last couple of weeks, he still wants to prove to the entire league and to the entire media that he's one of the best players in the league. Make no mistake about it. He still thinks he's the top three player in the league, if not the best player. He's going to go out there and try to prove it every single night, and that is absolutely going to hurt the, the development and the fantasy value of everyone around him. Yeah, and that's the biggest question is at what point and if, I guess, if Kobe Bryant ever realizes – that he's not the number one option on this team that's going to be fun to watch and I think that's maybe what you mean by soap opera is the 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 give and take between Kobe Bryant and the rest of this team um at what point does he come to the realization that playing hero ball isn't going to work he doesn't he doesn't think so I I don't know I think he I mean he kind of realizes at this point is he has to realize at this point that he's not a top five player in the league. I think people like to think that Kobe thinks that, but he's a smart guy. He knows. Yeah, but if he goes out there and puts up 30 points a night, then you have to automatically consider him as one of the best players in the league. What if he does it on 36% shooting? He doesn't care. That I don't think field goal percentage really matters to him a whole lot. I think he cares about the round number. Uh, I think 83 he, points against the Raptors. How many, you know? I, 81? I mean, what? Was, 80, was it 81? It was 81. 80? Okay. But I think he... I don't know. I mean, he. I, I think he cares about shooting percentage. I don't know. I think you're. I think we're selling Kobe a little bit short. He doesn't care about shooting percentage if he scores forty points on thirty-five percent shooting and they win. But if he's doing that and they're dropping games left and right, I think he he won't have any choice but to kind of acknowledge it. Okay. One thing that people have been talking about and I've heard around the media in general is that you know if Kobe. Kobe should just move into a role like Paul Pierce's role, where he just knows his spot on the floor. He's a shoot-up jumper. He can take those clutch threes. A few years back, and I'm talking like five or six years ago, somebody, I think it might have been Stuart Scott was interviewing him or someone, and he asked, you know, you're you're not winding down, but you're coming close to where you're losing your first step. You're not not as aggressive or don't have quite the physical ability. I think he's still aggressive. And he asked, you know, would you move into a role where you're just taking up, shoot, uh, you know, catch him, shoot him threes? And he said, no, I never want to be that kind of player. And so I think it's unwise to think that anytime Kobe Bryant's on the floor, that he, you know, he wouldn't try to think that he's the man and put up more points than anybody else. Yeah, but I, I, I don't know. I, I've never been a big Kobe guy, so I feel like I'm going against myself defending him like this. But I. I just don't think he, he's not just going to go out and just chuck shots to chuck shots. I don't know. I, I, he he went out there and dish passes just to dish passes to prove fine. that he could do, do that. that. Yeah, I, I just think he's going to try to. He'll maybe try to do that for the first week or two of the season, see that it doesn't work, and and make adjustments. This team has some talent. They're not a playoff team, but they're also not a team that's just going to allow Kobe to to dribble around and just pull up from mid range all day. I I don't know. I, I I think I like to think that Kobe can do a little bit better for himself. Over under times that Kobe contributes to his career montage of yelling at his teammates. How many video clips do you think we get throughout the year? I'll say five and a half. 
I think I think at least four are going to come from Hibbert, and then he's just going to go right at Russell, go right at Clarkson. I think early in the season is where most of those will come when this team, because every team thinks they're a contender for the first month that's of the true. season. I think that's when, and then you know maybe he'll lighten up as as things become more clear the direction this team goes. Um, but I don't know. I I'm sure he'll kill. There'll certainly be a couple, but. I, I don't know. I, I'd like to think that Kobe is finally, maybe after all these injuries, accepted more of a mentor role, but we'll definitely see. I don't have any insider knowledge that tells me that. Would, uh, it, it could certainly happen. The bloodbath that is the Western Conference, that, that's just an overall thing that I'm looking forward to. We won't have to talk too much about this. I think this one goes without saying. The Western Conference is deeper than it was last year. It's deeper at the top, I think. Golden State kind of ran away with it by the end of the year last year, but teams like Houston Teams like the Clippers, teams like San Antonio, even Memphis all got better. Oklahoma City obviously gets much better, not with really making any roster improvements, but just with getting Durant back. There, there are legitimately six teams that you could make a pretty compelling case for to win the title out of the West. There's maybe only one, two, or three, I guess, how much, depending how much you like Chicago and Miami, maybe even Atlanta, whatever, in the Eastern Conference. But the focus is going to be on the West throughout the entire year. There's storylines for just about every team. The Pelicans is going to be all about Davis. Uh, the Mavericks, how big of a step back do they take? The Nuggets, they're integrating a rookie point guard. Golden State, how do they follow up a 67-win season? Houston got so much deeper. The Clippers maybe added more depth than anybody, but how do you integrate guys like Josh Smith and Lance Stevenson, ball-dominant type of guys off the bench? It's, you, you, every single team in the West is really, really intriguing, and I just think that watching that conference on a night-to-night basis is going to be a treat. Yeah, I don't really have much to add to that because we've been talking about this for the last few years, and it, and it holds true every single year. It's been a little bit disappointing in the playoffs, I would say. We thought it would be more of a bloodbath, but in terms of the regular season, should be fun. Let's throw in New Orleans. Let's throw in Utah. Let's throw in Phoenix into that mix as Dallas seems to slip down below those guys. Should be really fun. A lot of young talent trying to butt up against those six teams that you mentioned. All right, we'll go to your final uh, thing that you were excited about this season. Oh, wait, you have two more, excuse me. Number three for you, figuring out how good the Atlanta Hawks will be without Damari Carroll. First, I'll ask you, was last season a fluke? I don't think it was a fluke at all. They're a really good regular season team that really wasn't that good in the playoffs. It's as simple as that. You can have both things, right? And they kind of hit their stride at the beginning of the season and tapered off at the end. If you can pick and choose what you want, you want to catch fire and make the playoffs. You know, Even if it's by the skin of your teeth, if you're hot at the end, that's ideal. They did the exact opposite of that, for better or for worse. But everyone likes to say, you take Carroll out of this, how many games realistically are they going to lose? How many or you know, how many did he win them last year? What's the consensus? Anywhere from 5 to 10 is about? I, I, think, that's, I think that seems high. I, don't, I mean, he, he got a lot more credit than maybe not he deserved, but that I expected. You know, I, It seemed like by midseason, all of a sudden, everybody was on the Damari Carroll train and you know. Is he the best player on this team? Type of stuff. And I think, I think he's he was really really good in his role and what they asked him to do as like the f- fifth option on offense. You know, and I think there's a lot of guys that can fill that role. That's not a, not really an indictment against Damari Carroll by any means. I just think his contributions were maybe a little bit overrated. I'm very interested to see how he translates to Toronto. I thought that was a really interesting pickup by then, and and we'll see how that works out. But I think Atlanta will be fine. They. They definitely don't get to 60 wins. I don't know if they even get to 55 this year, but I think they remain a top five team for sure in the East. Yeah, I think that's fair, but I'm I'm just really curious to see exactly how that's going to shake out. It's everyone's favorite, or it's one of the most uh, talked about topics is 
are was it a fluke? Was it all in Carroll? Are they going to really slide? I don't see them getting better. Like you said, Nick, that's not going to happen. You've got Kent Bazemore. You've got Tabo Cephalosha into that role. Both of those guys don't do the same things in terms of fantasy. Carroll was a guy that could get you one, you know, a one in every single category, three-pointer steals, uh, blocks, Bazemore and Cephalosha simply aren't like that. Bazemore is probably more valuable, especially if he's seeing more minutes than Cephalosha. But on the whole, I'm just excited to see. I don't even want to try to make a judgment how many wins Carroll is worth. I want to watch it play out, and it should be pretty obvious halfway through the season. If this team really struggles, it wouldn't surprise me that much, even though they have four major contributors coming back. What would surprise you more, if this team is hovering a little bit above 500 at the All-Star break, or if this team... You know, does similar to where they were at at the All Star break last year. It would year. surprise me if they did just as well last year. That'd be more surprising. It would be more surprising if they did similar to last year. And so I'm kind of pegging them as a team that finishes maybe like a few games above 500. They get into the playoffs just fine. Five, six seed, maybe four, five, six seed. They still can be threatening, but um, I, I think they're going to slide. And even if you had Carroll on this team, I think they would have slide. It, it was just yeah. two. Everything clicked, and it, you know every luck that could have went their way went their way. Even if you had Carroll, they're going to slide maybe five games, take Carroll out, maybe add at least three or four more games on top of that. Yeah, I, I think I think that sounds fair. There's a pretty big downgrade at shooting guard um, from Damari Carroll to Thabo Cephalosha. I don't think enough people really realize that. You know, that starting five played so many minutes together, and that top six. You know, if you had Schroeder in there, really played a ton of minutes together. The Schroeder thing is weird now, too, because he had, he had comment last week that, you know, he basically said, yeah, I want to be the starter here, and if not, I'm going to look elsewhere. It wasn't a trade demand. Yeah, I think maybe that was the, the initial reaction for a lot of people. Um, but it's, a, it's an odd dynamic, you know. Basically, I think you want competition within your team, that's for sure, you know, pushing each other. But it, does that – you know, Jeff T is going to start for this, this team all season. I, don't th- I think maybe those two end up starting together at some point. Who knows? I think Schroeder's a little bit undersized for that to work out long term. But uh, I guess we'll see. That that's just kind of adds a new dynamic to all this. You know, Schroeder, I think, is one of you know, definitely their most important young piece. And they, he basically told them, I don't want to be here long term if I'm not going to be a starter. So that's kind of hanging over their head. The, you know, the expectations that they face now after last season is hanging over their head and just – it just seems like it's impossible to replicate what happened last season. I just don't think it's going to happen. I think in that scenario, if you had Schroeder start, you move Corver to the small forward, which would move Bazemore or Cephalosha to the bench. Teague would start. And then, I mean, there's not a lot of great— They're not that deep either. They're not that deep at all. They, they are one Thiago or two splitter. pieces away from being a real competitor. I love the splitter edition. That's huge. Yeah, I like that as well. you got Mike Scott, who's done solidly— um, coming off the bench, obviously he's not a great player, but in five to ten minutes, maybe fifteen minutes, I, he's okay. There. And it's worth noting that he could be suspended at some point, depending what happens with that drug case. I guess he looks to be in the clear for now. I'm not sure. I guess it's being dragged out much longer than I thought, but at some point he might be gone. Yep, that'll come to light eventually. Tim Hardaway, maybe he can step into an interesting role there. You really just don't think so. Justin Holiday, they're not they're not deep at all. No. And so Teague and Schroeder really have to have a lot of those minutes. Shelvin Mack is a guy, I've already said it before, I, I <laughs> you laugh. Talk about a guy who's really undersized, Shelvin Mack. Um, not not like width-wise. Not width. He's, got some, he's not. got some girth to him. He's, he's, he's a thick gentleman. Um, I... I I don't like what I see in Atlanta. They pretty much did the exact, you know, they had the same cast of characters for the most part besides Carol. So so we'll see. I'm excited to watch. And when I say I'm excited to watch is because I really don't know what's going to happen. And so I'll be genuinely happy to find out.
Yeah, I think that goes without saying. I, I'm certainly not rooting against the Hawks by saying I think they were overrated last season, but I want, I'm just as interested as anyone else to see how that turns out. My final uh, aspect of the season that I'm really excited about is just the overall young international talent that's in this league right now. I mean, you have Giannis. He's obviously entering his third year already, still very young. Kristaps Przingis is going to start for New York. We'll get a, a good look at him on Wednesday night. Miritich for the Bulls, he's back. Hizonia, I mean, the list goes on. Gobert, if you want to throw him in there. I mean, you can pick out somebody from almost every team. Um, Houston, what's his name? Donatus Matajunas? No, well, boy, there's another one, but um, not him. Not Caboclo, but what is his name? Oh, Papa Nicolau or something No, like no, that? no, no. He, uh, what is his name? I, I, this is totally slipping my mind right now. Tall, power forward, bouncy. Capella, Clint Capella. Clint, okay. Clint yep. Capella. Um, I mean, there's just so many guys like that. It seems like every team is now – I think I just read today there's like 101 foreign players in the league right now. It just seems like every team has Wait, one of those high upside – 101? Yeah. Is that possible? Yeah. I don't think – there's only 15 guys on each team? 100? Times 30? Yeah, it's totally possible. Okay. Think about like how many alone the Spurs have. That's true. I mean, Tim Duncan is Tim Duncan from... counts, Boris Diaw, Ginobili, Patty Mills. I mean, that's four right off the top of our head there. Okay. It's, we it's, might have it's to, totally plausible. We might have to put some I mean, we can count them up. If you, we, can do, we can do a Count the International Players <laughs> podcast if we have to. But I just think it's, it's interesting. I don't know. I've, you know so I think for a while there, there was kind of a lull in, in international talent. There was kind of a generational gap. You know, guys like Bargnani didn't pan out. Gallinari never, never quite panned out as well. And, you know, the old guard of Dirk. And mm-hmm. I guess you can throw Duncan in there. Uh, Ginobili, Parker, those type of guys. Now there's just so much young talent that even if all these guys don't end up panning out, some of them have to. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I think, um, you know, in other sports, we're seeing that baseball, especially baseball is played around the world. So it's basketball. Now you're going to start seeing that Dante Exum is another guy. Um, you didn't, you didn't mention he'll be back in a couple years, right. good young talent. And so it, it is exciting. It's exciting because they probably have a different take on the game of basketball and how it should be played. We see it really work out with teams like the Spurs. Uh, it'll be interesting. Azonia is a guy I'm really interested in watching. Kristaps, for sure. Miritich, sounds like he's going to start at power forward over yep. Jaquim Noah. Um, should be fun. I, I, I think um, it should be fun for sure. All right, so your final uh, thing that you're most looking forward to this season. Will Rajon Rondo play nice, or does he effectively end his career in Sacramento? This is a guy that quit on his team in Dallas during the playoffs, got kicked off the team during the playoffs. It's absolutely amazing. And Rick Carlisle didn't even waste any time. He just said he won't ever play uh, for us again. I think during his postgame conference, you know, they were in the playoffs the first round. And so you got Rajon Rondo going to Sacramento, a team that continually makes dumb decisions like picking up Rajon Rondo for one year on a tryout basis. So, so what's the best case scenario here? Everything works out peachy and then he gets a max deal. You know, he fits right in with Rudy Gay and Cousins. Or does everything go awry because they're a bad team and then he's gone and then you're right back where you started at the beginning of this year without a point guard or with Darren Collison as your point guard? It doesn't make a lot of sense for me. I think you're putting a lot of interest into how Rajon Rondo used to be when he played for the Celtics. I think it's no surprise which team ended up picking him up. This is maybe the only team that really – uh, was that significantly interested in him. I thought it was a really odd move for Sacramento to pass on Emmanuel Moutier in the draft. I thought that was a perfect fit there. That was kind of the, the clear projection all along. They go with Cauley Stein, a guy I'm not super high on. That's a very Kings move. Like, it, Couldn't you totally see Cauley Stein just like out of the league in three years? Yep, like totally. I would be, I'd almost be surprised if that wasn't the case. And I, I really like him as like a college player. He's super exciting to watch. I just don't 
I, don't, I hate any rookie going to Sacramento because it's a wasteland for guys like that. DeMarcus yeah. Cousins is good enough that he was able to, to survive. But, I mean, Ben McLemore, like, who knows what he's going to be. Nick Stauskas already gone. We just see it year after year after year. Jason Thompson is like, isn't he the all-time leader in games played for that franchise? Yep, like, I believe he said a, it last year. It's an absolute joke. And, you know, I, I just – it's such a king's move to bring in Rondo. But – that said, it's going to be super interesting because I really, really like DeMarcus Cousins. I think he's a consensus top 10 player in the league, and I, I really, really, really hope they can get something around him just so to, to people know how good he is. Um, but it, you just, I don't know. Is it going to work with Rondo? Like, this is either going to go pretty well or really, really bad. There's really not going to be an in-between, an in I don't think. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. I hope right, Rondo just elects not to shoot at all like he just never shoots and passes it off to gay and cousins i know that's not feasible because he needs to become a threat for his passing ability to work so guys need to come to him he needs to be a legitimate shooting threat for guys to for him to pull in guys so he can kick it out to other ones so we'll see i i don't know at all it could just be an absolute crap show out there in sacramento and it has been for quite some time back until maybe the Mike Bibby days, Chris Webber days. Otherwise, much, yeah. since then, we've just been throwing guys out there to end their careers. All right, so I also asked you to make one bold prediction for the season. Um, we'll, we'll get to mine in a second, but we'll start with yours. Your prediction is? Either Billy Donovan, Alvin Gentry, or Fred Hoiberg will win Coach of the Year. And so Gentry, I believe, has head coaching experience in the past, correct? Phoenix. But he's still, yep, in Phoenix, but he's still coming into a new situation down there in New Orleans. Billy Donovan teetered on coming to the NBA, and this is finally going to be his first time with the Thunder. Fred Hoiberg coming from Iowa State over to the Bulls, where everything's pretty solid in terms of personnel there. Same way with the Thunder. They're coming into situations where if the team performs well, we're talking about title contenders. And so just like Kerr last year, same situation where you have good college coaches, not Kerr, obviously he was an analyst, but it wouldn't surprise me if they came, had a good season, and boom, Hoiberg, Donovan, coach of the year, Gentry as well. These, these are three teams in particular that are set up to be contenders right from the get-go, and I think one of these three teams will be a top-two seed in their respected conference, and therefore one of them will win coach of the year. I got to say, I don't know if this is like the hottest of takes as far as bold predictions go. Mine's not super bold either, I guess. But I mean, I feel like, I mean, Steve Kerr last year obviously kind of came out of nowhere as a first year coach. I think it could almost set a precedent, though, you know, of a guy like Billy Donovan walking into a really good situation. And Steve Kerr showed that if you improve an already good team, you can still win coach of the year. I mean, Donovan's the third favorite in Vegas to, to win coach of the year, which maybe is a little bit high. David Blatt's number four. That, that seems odd. But, I mean, Hoiberg is in the top ten. Gentry's right below him. Um, I think I think of, of those three, I would probably favor Donovan basically for the reason that I just said. is like he's, he's already locked into a situation that's really, really good if things break right. And if basically that means if Kevin Durant stays healthy, this team is guaranteed to be like a top three or four team in the West. And I think that that just like dramatically raises his odds. Like if, if Kevin Durant stays healthy, the floor for this team is so high that I think you almost have to give it to him in his first year because he gets that kind of the inexperience bump, you know? Like, I think people were impressed with how well Steve Kerr handled this team and improved this team after Mark Jackson left, or, or you know, I don't know if that's probably not the right term. After Mark Jackson was no longer, was no longer the coach of the Golden yeah. State Warriors, um, I think people were impressed. You know, this guy's never done it before. He was able to, to do this all in year one. And I think, I think Billy Donovan and Fred Hoiberg certainly could get that same treatment for the Pelicans and for Alvin Gentry to get this award, they would really, really have to show improvement. You know, I mean, we're talking a better than the seventh seed, I think, 
This yeah, team won they, quite a few games last year. I just don't know if they, they have the health right now that, that that's going to be a possibility. Well, let's say this. This is why I threw Alvin Gentry into this conversation. Is Let's say that they sneak ahead of a couple of teams like the Rockets. They sneak ahead of the Spurs, maybe the Thunder. I mean, just to pick like three of those six teams we talk about. Let's say they sneak into the four or three seed somehow. I don't know how they do it, but they do it. In that case, I think you got to say that Gentry would be a coach of the year candidate. No yeah. bones about it. We're talking about these these six teams in the West that are so locked in. We don't know which of them could be the best. If the Pelicans jump into that same mix, got to give it to Gentry. I think he'd be a top three finisher for sure. I think he would, but I also think that in that scenario, Anthony Davis would be playing out of his mind, and I almost think people would be, you know, would just say, "Oh well, Davis it's is the one Davis. who's responsible." Yeah. So I mean, obviously a hypothetical. Uh, that, that's going to be one of the more interesting races, though. It's really hard to do it twice. And, like, for Steve Kerr to win it again, they need to win, like, 71 games, you know, if people are going to be impressed enough to give him a coach of the year nod. And, and even just, with, with his health issues, who knows when he'll really be back. I, I think if they win the same amount of games, but one of these three scenarios that I presented in front of you happens, I just don't think Kerr wins just because of it's the opposite of recency bias, I guess. We want to move mm-hmm. on and, and proclaim the next greatest coach. I mean, otherwise, you could just kind of say that Greg Popovich should win it every single right. year. Yeah, and well, it's, a, it's the same case you could make for like, for LeBron to win the MVP every year. You know, yep. you're, at, at some point, you're competing against yourself, and I think Kerr is already there after only one year. Looking at the odds here, if you're a betting man, DJ, some of these odds I do. like. You can get Scott Skiles at 150-1 to 1 to win Coach of the Year. I don't love Scott Skiles necessarily as a coach, but I think this roster is so talented that like it w- it's not crazy to think Orlando could make a big leap this year. They could make a big leap, that's but what, nobody's going to be watching them. Sure, but I think what you're ultimately looking for a lot of times when, when analyzing Coach of the Year candidates is the teams that make the big jump, right? It's not necessarily the teams that finish the best. It's if your team won 25 games last year and all of a sudden they win 40 games the next year, you have a legitimate chance to get that award, whether that even gets you into the playoffs or not. I mean, I don't. Hornacek didn't. Did Hornacek win it two years ago when the Suns ended up missing the playoffs? He should have. I, I don't. I think Popovich won it. I think Popovich. Hornacek I think he did just an amazing job. He, you know, he came out of the <laughs> the elusive Utah Jazz coaching tree behind right. Ty Corbin. Somehow TC. he snuck away from TC. Yeah, and yeah, he did an amazing job. Kind of faltered last year. Look for them to come back and, right. and contend. But was it Greg Popovich last year? Um, I honestly didn't look it up. I'm pretty sure it was. I, I think I believe I recall Hornacek finishing second, and obviously there was a little bit of controversy there just because, like we said, Pop's one of those guys that's kind of competing against himself. Pop did win, by the Pop way. Pop did win. All right. Byron Scott, 200-1. to one. So if, you, if no, you're really thank feeling, you. if you're feeling saucy, there's one for you. Um, my bold prediction for the season is the Cleveland Cavaliers do not win the Eastern Conference. And by that, I don't mean that they don't make the finals. I mean that they're not the number one seed. So maybe I phrased that incorrectly. I don't think they get the number one seed in the East. And I'm going to parlay that with another prediction. LeBron finishes outside the top three in MVP voting for the first time since 2007-08, which is crazy. So be, which I, I can get down with that, but let's clarify here. If we're going to make that prediction or if you're going to make it, we got to throw up you know, some candidates to jump. So who's going to finish first in the East? And then who are going to be those top three that edge out LeBron? Well, I think the Bucks are the obvious. T- no, um, yeah. Drink. No, <laughs> um, I, think, I think Chicago, I really like. They... They're, this is a make-or-break year in a lot of ways, not from a you know, long-term perspective, I guess, but I think, think what I mean is it could go either pretty well or pretty badly, you know, similar to the Kings. I think you're, people seem to assume that as solid as this team has been with their core of, of Noah, Gibson, Rose, Butler, that they can kind of weather a coaching change without much difference. And 
I mean, this is a pretty drastic change going from a guy like Tibbs to anyone, really, and especially a guy with no NBA coaching experience uh, and Fred Hoiberg. I think this team will end up being fine, so maybe I'm, I'm a little bit more bullish on them than a lot of people. And a guy in Fred Hoiberg that did pretty well at Iowa State, but it's not like he was winning national championships like Bailey Donovan was. He wasn't – yeah, well, and, you know, Iowa State – isn't really Florida. I mean, it's it's a big it's a Big Twelve program. It's he on did, a national scale. He did very well at, at revamping that program, and he got a lot of interesting players in the door. Yeah, and managing egos. I'll add that as well. And so I look at managing egos as maybe one of the most important things. I think that's something that Steve Kerr did really well. Right, managing egos is one, but I forget who made this argument. I think it was one some national guy on the radio. It might have been Dan Lebetard last week. Uh, and I think it was in conjunction with the Sarkeesian firing at USC. And so, you know, we're going a little bit off the, the NBA board here. But he, the point was basically coaches that are often targeted, whether it's college football, college basketball, for pro jobs are guys who did really well at building, uh, you know, building something from the ground up. So Brad Stevens at Butler is an example. I'm, I'm trying to think other who else has built programs from the top and, and made the jump. And it, it can even be, you know, building a program and then jumping to a bigger program. You know, you're always looking for the guy who – Charlie Strong at Buffalo, you know, and then he goes to Texas. You're looking for guys who have been able to to build something at a smaller program, but not really necessarily sustain it. You know, you get them before, you know, they've, they've built this thing in three, four, five years. You don't really know how they are long term. You're always looking for like, if you're hiring, hiring someone for an MBA job, why do you want someone who's building something from the ground up? That's not what the MBA is. You want somebody who's sustainable, somebody who can manage egos. And I think Fred Hoiberg did a really good job of resurrecting a program we haven't necessarily seen a large enough sample size of sustaining it. And, you know, it's the college level. It's, it's a completely different ballgame. That's why I like the Billy Donovan hire. You know, I think they won their two national titles in, what, 05, 06, 06, 07, something like that. And, you know, they still stayed where they needed to be in the SEC. He was a long-term guy, a long-term success guy. Hoiberg had short-term success. You know, he turned things around in a short time at Iowa State. But the experience factor is being underrated, I think. And this, this might be a little bit of a bumpier transition. I went back and forth with Dan Schaefer, uh, Milwaukee Magazine, a guy who has a lot of great Milwaukee Bucks drink insight. Uh, and I, we talked about the Chicago front court a little bit, this, or excuse me, the Chicago back court a little bit this morning. And he's like, how much do you trust Derrick Rose? Because look at the depth chart behind Derrick Rose and behind Jimmy Butler. Tony Snell, a guy who can spot up, shoot, defend, and that's about it. Mike Dunleavy, who knows when he'll be back. He's old. Kirk Heinrich is going to be 35 in January. Etuan Moore is Etuan Moore. Aaron Brooks is Aaron Brooks. If anything happens to Derrick Rose, that backcourt is in serious trouble. If, even, even if nothing happens to Derrick Rose and he plays like he did last season, is that even going to be enough? Right. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just staying so far away from Derrick Rose that you're completely right. Aaron Brooks got in there in terms of fantasy potential. He did some things that made me use him in daily formats last year when Rose was out. In terms of winning basketball games, no thank you. And so there's a pretty sharp distinction, I, and I hope people realize out there, between being contributing to your NBA team's success versus being a viable fantasy candidate. Right, and going back to my original uh, prediction, you know, you asked which team beats Cleveland in the you know, to, for that number one seed in the right. Eastern Conference. Miami, baby, come on. Miami, like Miami could do it. Chicago, like I said, I think could do it. Um, some people have Washington doing it and that would that would certainly be surprising but I think you know nobody would that, saying Washington could win the east this year is like saying Atlanta could win the east last year yep right? exactly or Toronto even I mean Atlanta was the seventh seed two years ago people and we're just that. talking about being a good regular season team and sometimes all that means is just staying healthy if all your five guys stay healthy then you can right. string together a really solid season At- Atlanta went from 38 and 44 in 2013-14 
to 60 wins the next season. It, it can happen. So, you know, if you were, if you were to give me Cavs or the field, I would take the, the field. field all day long. I would take the field to win the East. I'll take the Cavs to get to the NBA Finals. No question about that. I, I have no doubt that that's going to that's going to happen as long as there's not a catastrophic injury to LeBron. I mean, the fact is they could still suffer catastrophic injuries to Kyrie and Love and maybe still make it again. Like they had, you could argue that they almost cruised to the finals without those two. I mean, they were on the ropes against Chicago until LeBron hit that game winner in the corner that, that really might have saved their season. I think that was kind of an underrated storyline. And they obviously blow through Atlanta in the Eastern Conference Finals. So barring something bad happening to LeBron, I don't have any issue with that. But I just think this team is going to be in such playoff mode that they're banged up to begin the year. I think some team is going to end up beating them out for that one seed, just as Indiana did when LeBron was in Miami. You know, those Miami teams were absolute juggernauts when they got to the, to the playoffs, but some of those guys played on cruise control through the regular season. They don't care if they get the number one seed overall. And you don't need to. You, you don't, don't need to. Need it doesn't to. matter. As long as, I mean, as long as they're a top four seed and they can get, like, as in they can get home court. They don't even need that. No, they don't. They could finish seven through eight and they could still They didn't make have home it. court against Atlanta and it wasn't a problem. Yeah, they could they could go six through eight and they could still make mm-hmm. the playoffs. As long as LeBron is healthy and he's engaged, uh, I, I'm all down for taking the Cavs over the field in the playoffs. So you gotta give me three MVPs that are gonna finish ahead of the I mean, LeBron. I think this this is easy. I could see Le- like well, I'll ask you another question in a second, but I think Davis, Durant, and Harden are almost locks. And like that that leaves out our defending MVP Steph Curry. Guys like Blake Griffin. I mean, if Blake Griffin played like he did in the playoffs over an entire season, which is a lot to ask, obviously, he finishes ahead of LeBron easily and maybe even ahead of – he's right in that conversation with Curry and Harden. He was averaging like six assists a game in the playoffs to go with his normal points and rebounds production, which is ridiculous. Um, Did you even say Chris Paul? Chris Paul. I mean, him him and Blake kind of detract from each other in a lot of ways. I think at this point, Griffin is the bigger MVP candidate there. I mean, there are a lot of guys you could throw. I mean, if if Melo has a big, big bounce back season, I don't. He's probably not going to be in there. And Paul and the George make the playoffs, and he right. has a big season. That's he certainly things can, can be happen. Top three. Things things can and will do happen. Do you think LeBron cares about the MVP at this point yes. in his career? You do. I don't. I think he cares. He, he even said something the other day. Uh, I, I saw a quote on Twitter from one of the Cavs writers saying that he hopes to improve his counting stats because they've been down over the last couple of years, which is true. Um, and he's always been a guy that not openly, I guess, as much, but you can tell there are little subtle things when you watch him. He very, very rarely will like launch something at the end of a quarter. You know, if they inbound, he'll either dribble out the clock or time it out just right that the shot doesn't count. A like, lot little, of guys do that, right? A lot of guys. He's not the only one. A lot little efficiency it's things an like epidemic. that. That year when he shot like fifty-seven percent for Miami, like he would just wouldn't shoot three pointers unless the like, unless he had time to like catch, gather and like go up almost like a free throw, things like that. And I think he's been a little bit more reckless, especially last season. He took some bad shots with Cleveland, and his shooting percentage reflected that. I think he's a little bit more conscious this year of things like that. Um, I, I mean, it was pretty clear that he felt slighted by the two-man MVP race last year, right? I think he, he had some— Well, then you shouldn't, you shouldn't take a vacation in right. South Beach in the exactly. middle of the season. Exactly. I, I think he wants to prove that he's just as good as he's ever been this year, and, and hopefully— you know that results in that results positively for him individually and for the Cavs, but I just think there's so much depth in this race right now. Like, like what is going to have to happen? This is the question I wanted to ask you. What has to happen for Cleveland as a team and for LeBron individually to beat out a guy like Durant or Davis, assuming that they have you know vintage seasons that that probably will happen if they're healthy. Well, if the Pelicans don't make the playoffs, I think you have to throw out Davis, and so Davis could be incredible he could be he could improve but the kind of knock on the mvp race is if you don't make the playoffs you really shouldn't be there because you're not facilitating right. your team so that's how davis will get knocked out and you said durant i mean sure. c- come on the foot issues just recur 
And, sure, okay, and, and so then that, he plays 50 games, I'm, and then he's out no, as no, well. No, no, no. But what hap- I'm saying assuming Durant's healthy and plays like Durant, and Davis is healthy and plays oh, like assuming? Davis. What happens then? What happens, What does LeBron have to do to literally beat out those guys, not have them get hurt and have them win by default? What does he have to do to top those guys? We're talking just like Coach of the Year. It's the exact same thing. The media, the fans want to crown somebody new. They want to crown the next something, or they want to rejoice about an awesome comeback. So if Durant is healthy and if Davis is amazing, like we think he'll be, LeBron has no shot whatsoever. We're kind of tired of LeBron at this point. We only really care about LeBron in the finals, and especially if he messes up, we love to pile it on. And so we want somebody new. Given that scenario, he has no shot whatsoever. That's what I'm saying. I think. I think if those two guys are healthy, especially, and then, like I said, that's not even mentioning Curry or Harden, two guys who have just as good a chance as anyone to win the MVP. Curry's, I think, is competing against himself maybe a little bit more, but it's going to be crazy. I mean, we can agree there's only one MVP candidate from the East, right? Like one legitimate MVP candidate from the East, LeBron James. Yep. I think Paul George could maybe, you know, vulture a couple third place votes when it's all said and done if he plays well, but he's not a legitimate contender. He can have a really good season and still be outside of the top five just just because he's not on anybody's mind right now. Mm. We forgot about him, and it's what we do for a living. Right. All right, last thing before we wrap up, who is your MVP? I wanted to give it to Harden last year. I think he did more in terms of facilitating his team and his own play on the court. I I think that he could win it this year. Or actually, I don't think he can win it this year. Sorry. Because of, because of Ty Lawson. I think Ty Lawson's going to handle the ball more, get a lot of assist action. Harden maybe can play off the ball a little bit more. Not sure if that's a smart move or not, but I think that's actually going to hurt his overall numbers. Um, Maybe makes the team better. So I'll go with Davis. I think we're all ramped up. And if Davis shows us, you know, a good season, this is the first season where people are going to be watching him to watch him. Last year, people weren't doing that. He was one of the best fantasy options, but people weren't watching him. This year, all eyes are him. And even if he has a similar season as last year, it's going to be the first time that people are actually watching him do that. And in that case, I think, I think we're already ready to give it to Davis at this well, point. Well, that's the thing. I think that helps a lot. We see this a lot with the, the Heisman Trophy. I think Andrew yep. Luck is one of those guys. He was exactly. a back-to-back finalist. He never actually won it. Um, but it was his, either his last year or his second last year at Stanford. Like, he wasn't that great. Like He was... Very good, but he he still made it as a finalist. You know, he still was getting votes each week because he's Andrew Luck, and it it took until like week eight or nine. I used to write um, for the esteemed Badger Herald. I used to write our the like the fantasy college newspaper, right? The college newspaper at UW, and you know, but by no means a a national leader or anything like that. But you know, I was pretty clued in on the Heisman race, and I wrote a, a Heisman Watch article each week. And it took me until like week seven or eight of the college season to move him out of the number one spot. And my argument each week was. I mean, look, this—it's Andrew Luck. Like, you can't—you can't take Andrew <laughs> Luck out, right? And like, I think Davis is going to get that treatment in Same a lot of ways. Treatment. And I don't—I think he's going to live up to the hype by all means. But I think even if he—you know—even if his numbers, like you said, are similar to last season, if maybe they struggle to adjust to Gentry or whatever it is, I think it's going to take a lot for him to not be the favorite at some point in the season. Totally agree. All right, fantasy football just got a whole lot more interesting in Week Eight. DraftKings will be hosting another Millionaire Maker event. This time, 1.2 million goes to first place. If you go to DraftKings.com now, enter the promo code ROTOWIRE. You can play free with your first deposit on DraftKings. You can also enter the promo code ROTOHOOPS, I believe, if you're playing in, in hoops contest. Um, as far as I'm aware, they'll probably both work for any type of contest. Uh, as far as the promo codes go, those will allow you, again, to play free with your first deposit on DraftKings.com. Again, those promo codes are ROTOWIRE and ROTOHOOPS for free entry now with your first deposit on DraftKings.com. DraftKings, this is not fantasy as usual. 
This is DraftKings. Welcome to the big time. I've been eating that competition up. I love playing it. I, I, I'm living out those commercials. I, I live are? week to week, Sunday, Sunday, just trying to win that $1.2 million. Love it. <laughs> You're living out the, the DraftKings commercials. I hey, mean, every man's dream. Hey, my dream is just to kiss you goodbye, Nick, with my $1.2 million sale off, early retirement as a 23-year-old. Can't wait. Can't wait. <laughs> I only got a few more weeks left to do it, but uh, it's going to happen. Oh, wow. You're actually wearing your hair down tonight. Yeah, because I finally decided that I love my hair. I figured out the solution for my morning frizz, midday poof, and even next day bedhead. It's Frizz E Secret Weapon Touch-Up Cream by John Frieda. Will you and your hair look flawless? Flawless and touchable. Feel. See? It's soft. Smooth ends, no flyaways, shiny. Well, I clearly need to get some because your hair looks amazing. Frizz E Secret Weapon, only from John Frieda. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.